you're working seven days a week for your business and helping the community and even that money to have that money be donated some portion of it to be donated to charities it's what we're doing it's amazing but some people don't see it that way they see it as we're here to take jobs and to take from the community but in reality we're actually giving so much back to the community it's refugee week uh telling the stories giving the platform agitating and advocating for people who are in australia as refugees or have come here as refugees today's guest is atina kashani atina is um the daughter of vahid her father um who's the co-owner of o1 kebab in roxborough park in melbourne Atina and her family are originally from Iran. And Atina, it's a delight to welcome you to Dirty Linen. Thank you very much. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you on the show. <laughs> and yeah, really excited about a whole week of um, celebrating the skills, talents, aspirations, possibilities of refugee people who are here in Australia. So thanks for being part of um, part of this series. Uh, Atina, tell us about O1 Kebab and the neighbourhood that you're in. So O1 Kebab was uh, my dad's idea. Originally, he was a butcher and he worked at a butcher shop for 10 years. But his passion has always been in cooking and like being in the industry, in the food industry mainly. So when he was ready to leave the butcher shop, his boss Um, recommended that they actually open a restaurant together rather than a food truck. That way they can still remain in very close contact and that they can still have that relationship. So we opened Zero One Kebab in Roxburgh Park. It is mainly a Turkish suburb. Um, And since my dad's co-owner, co-partner is also Turkish, it just went really naturally. And my dad has gone very custard to the Turkish lifestyle because of the butcher shop. And it's just amazing. So everybody locally has been supporting us. It is it's been such an amazing journey and such a big ride, but it's been lovely and wonderful. And everybody around us has just been so supportive and it's just lovely to see (laughs) And what's your role in the business? So I pretty much do everything in the business from managing day-to-day invoices to customer service, cooking the food, um, doing cleaning and daily duties. It just comes down. Everybody shares their own roles and we just share everything. But a lot of the paperwork and managing the shop is left to me. Ah, oh, the hard stuff. Yes. <laughs> I've seen, um, I haven't been there yet, but I'm going to come and I'm not only coming for this dish, but I'm definitely having it. There is the there is the world's longest kebab. Yes. Yeah, so my dad had this vision where if we put multiple adanas on a stick and we put that on a platter, that would be an amazing idea. So he created the island kebab where it's like an island with a mountain erupting with the smoke coming out of it. And it's got all different types of meat in it, a 1.5 meter adana, wings and cutlets, ribs, chicken shish, everything. And all these dips around it and everybody gets their own little mini plate, but then they all share from the top and all of those boards were handmade the platter that it comes in we had them handmade by our friends and everybody just helped make the boards so it was such a great thing to see the actual idea come and we had to sit there and think about how many are we going to put in so the island kebab is like it's really nice to see when it comes out everybody gets so excited about it (laughs) yeah I can 
Uh, I have to have it. So what's the scenario? Do you have to come, would it be a group of people would come in and sit around a big table and they would have attack it together? Yeah, I'm, I mean, you can always try single, but I really, really doubt anybody's going to get far with that one. Um, the idea is, yeah, like, you know, you get a group of people, eight or ten people between that number is usually what it feeds. But we've seen people come in, eight to ten people, and they have not been able to finish it. So however many you want, it's up to you. And everybody just comes in and you can always grab as much food as you like. It's just there for you to grab and enjoy. That's amazing. And I mean, you mentioned that Roxburgh Park is a really Turkish neighbourhood. Um, tell us about that sort of that connection between cooking Turkish food but being Iranian because, of course, you know, Persian cuisine has its own um, proud history with kebabs as well. Yeah. So having like, you know, when Turkish customers come in, they always love the marination. They're like, it's beautiful. And my dad's like, yeah, I also add a little bit of like Iranian spice to that, like the Iranian touch, you know, with a lot of onions and it's amazing and they love it. But also we do have like a Persian uh, customer base that comes in. And for them, we always say, if you call us in advance and let us know you're coming, we're happy to get Iranian style kebab because it's a different type of kebab. And so we make those separately for those customers. So it's always, yeah. And can you explain to people who don't know the difference? Like what's what are the subtleties of the Iranian kebab? So the Iranian kebab is a lot of onions, just a lot more onions mixed in with the mince and it's always hand minced and it's got not too much spices in there whereas the adana it's got paprika and a lot of red capsicum so that's the main big difference between the two um, is that the Iranian one it's a little bit darker because of the amount of onion that goes into it whereas the Turkish one the adana it has a lot more red capsicum in there making it a lot more red. Mm, so interesting. I love this because, yeah, you just imagine these dishes would have been connected somewhere back in history and then they sort of take their own paths. It's really, yeah, really beautiful. Maybe we can be the one that intertwines them two together and just makes a new masterpiece. You never know. Well, I mean, that's Australia, right? And that's why it is so important to welcome refugees and people that come from all kinds of different places. It's really is is the beauty of Australia, but um, of course, experiences can be, you know, varied and very difficult. Um, Atina, I'd love you to share uh, your story. Um, tell us about, yeah, tell us about growing up in Iran and your, and your passage to Australia. So I grew up in Iran until I was nine years old. So I have quite a little bit of memory, but a lot of it is very vague since I was very young. But the majority of my memory is from Australia and, you know, being able to call Australia home. However, in paper-wise words, I cannot call Australia home because I have not been seen or identified as a refugee yet. So I am still an asylum seeker despite living 10 years in Australia, which is an awful experience because it's deprived me from a lot of opportunities to have in future, such as the basic, basic necessity to be able to study. I've always wanted to be a lawyer because seeing the struggles that my parent has gone through and, you know, the awful things that happen, it kind of drew me to becoming a lawyer and being able to help those that cannot get that legal help. But because of my visa status and my situation, I have not been able to study. I they said to me that I don't have study rights since the only pathway for me is to be deported. And since I'm not a refugee, I cannot stay in Australia. So I have permission to work, but not to study. 
which is awful. That's just really, really heartbreaking and seems so unfair. Um, I suppose if the Australian government is saying you're not a refugee, then they're saying you should go back to Iran. I mean, does that seem to be a possibility? Absolutely not. Seeing the situation in Iran, I think when we came to Australia, a lot of um, stuff that was happening in Iran was undercover and people in Australia really didn't even know where Iran was on the map. But with the new rise of women fighting for their rights and people agreeing that what's happening in Iran, especially to women and, you know, people of color and um, people in the LGBTQ community, they are facing life-threatening situations in Iran where, you know, you will get hung, you will get killed. And it, it's an awful situation. And now it's finally getting shown on media where people are actually able to see it. So when we came in, that really wasn't a thing. People didn't know what was happening in Iran. And that made us as refugees really hard to believe because they didn't see any of it. So if we get sent back, me, my mom, everybody in the family could be facing prosecution right as we enter. So being sent back is definitely not an option. And if we have to, we will not be able to go back ever. Yeah, um, it's... It's so interesting what you say, you know, I know that there's been, with the regime that's been in Iran um, for a long time now, there have been a lot of um, imprisonments, a lot of people have disappeared, there's been, you know, a lot of um, torture in, in imprisonment as well and, you know, people have been fleeing the country for a while and of, and for good reason. But it's really interesting that you make that distinction between when things have become more open and women have been um, taking off headscarves and um, asserting their freedom. It does mean that there is more awareness, but the things that have been happening have been yeah, they're there for decades. Yeah, it, it's been 40 years since the regime came in, 41 years. And since then, nothing's been the same in Iran. You know, every year you would think that women would be able to get more rights. But in fact, women's rights are actually getting taken away more and more, especially with the freedom to have your own say. You cannot speak. You cannot say anything, especially against a man. And that just to me shows how cruel Iran has became. I do martial arts as a sports. Martial arts is my hobby. I've always loved it. I've been doing it for the past 10 years. So since we arrived to Australia, I just started right away. And when I used to contact my family in Iran, my very distant relatives, they always told me that that's actually a man's sport and you shouldn't be playing it. You shouldn't be doing any sport that involves physicality. You should probably stick to doing more basic things, basic sports and do sports. Um, activities around the house and help more housewives rather than actually going out and doing what I want to do. It just showed how brainwashed they really are. And it's, um, yeah, I mean, it just makes it even more frustrating that you're here. You've, you can, you can take advantage of some of the freedoms in Australia, but you're not able to just settle and, and pursue your own goals. <laughs> yeah. It, it's been awful. It's been, you know, I can't do my martial, I can't pursue my martial arts any further than just traveling around Australia. So I've kind of limited to Australia only and I can't go anywhere else. And same with study wise, you know, I would love to be able to study anywhere in general, anywhere, but even like a two day course, a TAFE course, anything has been off limits for me because this visa situation. And what's the path forward, Atena? Like, is there, have you got 
applications to change the situation in train? Unfortunately, not. When, you know, the government was changing, we were so excited because we thought that there's going to be big changes. They promised big changes and we were so excited for that. But then when the changes arrived, unfortunately, these changes did not apply to all visas. It did not apply to everybody. It applied to a certain majority, which we're really happy for them. You know, we're seeing more and more of those people that are on TPVs and on CHEVs receiving their permanent residency and it really does fill us with joy that it's finally happening that we're finally being treated equally but then we're left out and so are many others that are on bridging visas or on community visas so what's going to happen to us unfortunately we're not in those majorities and so we've just been left out pushed aside and we'll get to it when we get to it I mean, you sound like a a really positive and dynamic person, you know, really curious about the world. Um, What impact has this um, situation had on you? To be a, to not be able to say that I can travel, you know, I've heard my friends saying, we're going here for holiday and we're going here. And my club, Dave, my martial arts club, Dave wanted to go many, many countries, you know, Oceania openings happening, Korea openings happening. Let's go here. The Olympics. I cannot attend to any of these. Unfortunately, for the first, you know, a lot of refugees and asylum seekers don't talk about this, but we're actually very embarrassed for the first few years of our life about being a refugee. Like in school, in primary, I was put on the spot and I was told by my teacher, like, tell us where you came from. And I was like, oh, I'm from Iran and I, you know, I came to Australia. And she said, by boat. And I said, no, by plane. That is the amount of embarrassment. Even up until year eight, I felt too embarrassed to say that I'm actually a refugee. I'm an asylum seeker. I, you know, we didn't flee for holiday. We fled because our life was in danger. And that unfortunately is a shame that a lot of refugees face because by the wider community, they they used to see it as this awful thing where if you're an asylum seeker, you should feel embarrassed that you don't belong in this community. But now, as more and more people are becoming aware of it, it's becoming, hey, refugees and asylum seekers are making an impact. You never know who is really a refugee and asylum seeker because they're helping so much the community. You can't even tell. Yeah. Well, of course. I mean, refugees, especially people who came here by boat, were demonised in really disgusting and, yeah, just heartbreaking ways. Um, And... Yeah, I'm not surprised that you sort of internalize that and take that on and feel that um, feel that there is is shame. But of course, for someone to come to Australia by boat, uh, they're not doing it for fun. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't call it a cruise ship. You wouldn't call it a smooth sailing. Like you know, when we had fun, it was traumatic. <laughs> yeah, and when you came, um, did you come from Indonesia by boat? Yes, we were a part of the Indonesia group, the 2013 group. Um, I'm still, if I ever go to the immigration, I'm not known by my name. I'm known by my boat ID, JRS313. So I've got that memorized. Um, You know, we're not seen by our names. We're seen by the boat number and the year that we came in, which it's awful, you know. Wow, I did not know that. That is really, that's just devastating. Yeah, it, you know, for the first 
two years of living in Australia when we used to go to see a case manager and a caseworker who would help us settle in. When we came in, we would be like, oh, Vahid is here. And they're like, yep, what's your boat ID? Even now when we want to apply for our visas, that number still applies and that, you know, the immigration number, we still have to put in our card number. And what about when you arrived here, Atina? Were you, was your family in detention for a period of time? We, I always consider us as one of the lucky refugees. We were on boat for only 24 to 48 hours. So that was really happy. And when we came in, we were in camp for maybe uh, a month and a half and then moved to another camp for a month. So only a short period of time we actually spent in detention camp. But, you know, when we got out, we thought everything was going to be fine here. Reality is, once you really think about it, living in Australia is almost like a detention camp on its own, where you can't leave here still. It's the same as a detention camp. It's just a wider detention camp where you can do certain things, but you just cannot leave Australia. And what about, I mean, you don't have study rights. What about um, medical rights? Our medical rights... We have a certain amount of medical right where we're still covered by Medicare, thank God. Um, however, once our visa expires, so does our Medicare. So every three months or six months, depending on what who the person that's um, filling out our paperwork, depending on what they feel like, three or six months. Um, and once the visa expires, we don't have Medicare or visa for about a, a week or two weeks, depending on how long they take to send us a new one. And so in that time, we're not covered. And it's awful because last month of February, when it expired, we, my dad needed throat surgery immediately because he had found something in his throat and we weren't going to be covered. But thank God it arrived. So your visas roll over every three or six months. Yes. That is ridiculous. (laughs) Yep. Every three to six months they call us and they say, has anything changed? No. Okay, here's a new one. And the irony part is that the it should remain the same. You would think that bridging visa, you apply for it, you get the same visa. However, this last visa that we received in February, we had a new caseworker who actually determines a case and he took my study rights away saying that for the last year when they had been giving us the visa, the person that was assessing it had given all of my family members permission to study when in reality they shouldn't have had even me because I was 19, I was 18. And when you get over the age of 18, you do not have any permission to study. So at least I finished high school. Yeah, it's just... uh, uh I know the immigration system is very convoluted. I feel like the the current government isn't deliberately cruel, but I think that it's the the impacts um, are no better than the previous government, which did seem to have a you know um, policy of cruelty for cruelty's sake. Um, the impact are just um, uh, yeah, just let's. Let's flip it around, Atina, and think. To, you know, what would you like the broader Australian community to know? about the benefits of welcoming refugees into the community? Looking at it at a perspective is that, you know, we have done so much for the community, for the wider community. You know, we're opening businesses, we're working, we are studying in schools and getting our certificates to be able to help the community. We are not here to freeload is what I've heard people call us. 
Um, and we're not here to freeload of the government and of the tax benefits. We're here to actually make an impact, to have our voices heard, especially, you know, when you're working seven days a week for your business and helping the community and even that money, to have that money be donated, some portion of it to be donated to charities, it's what we're doing. It, it's amazing, but some people don't see it that way. They see it as we're here to take jobs and to take from the community. But in reality, we're actually giving so much back to the community. It's crazy. I mean, your dad invented Melbourne's longest kebab, <laughs> apart from anything else. <laughs> there you go. See, we're delivering great food and great service. Uh, Atina, when I come to O1 Kebab, if I don't come with a crew of people that are going to be able to eat the meat along one, uh, what else should I try? Look, I've always loved wings. Chicken wings have always been my favourite. Um, I should say the ajana. The ajanas are really what we're known for because we make them every day, daily batch, and it's made with my dad's ingredients and the meat is just straight off the shoulder. So no bad meat is in there and everything is portion controlled so definitely that done up but try the wings the wings are very nice <laughs> all right there's nothing like getting stuck into some juicy wings and getting messy with that great flavor um Atina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast as part of our refugee week series i really wish you all the best um yeah i hope things turn around and the Australian government realises that you are such an asset to our community and if you are given full study rights and the security of permanent residency that who knows what you'll do. Yeah, absolutely. I would really like if, you know, people stood up and they said enough is enough, let's do something about it and they actually heard our voices. But thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, such a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.